Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. Want to do a podcast? Yeah. All right, cool. to be talking about the software development life cycle. Yeah, I thought that could be an interesting topic. Yeah. Well, and let's start off with, what the heck is that even? All right, so the SDLC, the software development life cycle, mm-hmm. is the process... Well, also, wait, sorry, I didn't even say the name of the podcast. Oh, hey, <laughs> welcome to Hacking the Grepson. <laughs> okay, go ahead. And then music. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll, I'll fix that in post. Yeah, good. Okay. Uh, software development life cycles, just basically it's the process that is followed as one creates software. Okay. Right? Like, at, at its bare bones, there is any process that you follow for... The, actually, it's, it's really the process that the software itself goes through. Right? Oh, so from, not the people? From conception it? through, like, through to maintenance. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, the people implement the process. But I think the, the way I've always viewed the software development life cycle is that the life cycle is really of the software itself. Before it gets created through to when you're just keeping it on life support, so to speak. Okay. So it's like the the life story of an application. Yeah. Okay. So sort of like the basic, like what's on Wikipedia concept. (laughs) Not that that's open right now or anything. Yeah, it's totally not. Uh, But it usually starts with something like planning or, you know, actually getting the idea of what what you're going to create as opposed to just sitting down and randomly just hitting keys until (laughs) something shows up, I guess. Oh, um, man, I'm and, doing, doing it all wrong. <laughs> and then there's some sort of like analysis phase where you look at that, kind of figure out, all right, yeah, is this worth doing? Is it mm. possible to do? Maybe what's the right technology choice, depending, mm. you know. And then some of that sort of starts to go into the next phase, which is the most interesting one to me, which is design, where you're actually saying, okay, here's how I'm going to build it. Here's the major blocks Here's what this is going to do, and I'm going to use this software, you know, this programming language over here, and, you know, maybe I want this to be, uh, you know, it's a web application, so I'm going to use React framework, right, all those things. And then you build it. That's the implementation phase. Mm. On Wikipedia, it goes straight to maintenance. I would argue that implementation has a sort of iterative loop with testing I agree. in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, you don't just write it and it's done. There's yeah. there's a process. But I think they're they're viewing the implementation as a step that includes that. Yeah. But uh, and and the different models that you'll see for the software development lifecycle, there's a ton of them out there. Here's one that's like initiation, concept development, planning, analysis, requirements analysis, design, development, integration and test, implementation, operation and maintenance, and whatever disposition is. Disposition. Yeah. So. There's... What's my motivation as a software program? <laughs> yeah. I like this one. Instead of maintenance, it says sustainment. Mm. Sustainment. Yeah. Reuse, reduce, recycle. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of different models that can be used. Typically, like, the most classic one is fo- the one I just described is is what's traditionally known as the waterfall software development process, mm-hmm. right? Where you, you get everything up front. Like, here's what I'm going to build. Here's everything it needs to do. All right, now before I build anything, I'm going to completely design how I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. All right, here's how we're going to write it. Okay, I've got my design. Now I'm going to write that thing. Now it's written. <laughs> and now I'm going to test it. It's tested. Now it's done, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no 
iteration. There's no going back to like your customer halfway through and being like, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. There's no changing your mind and adding features. It's like, you know, everything up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the traditional software development process. And as a web developer, that is not at all how we do things. That's not really how anyone does things anymore yeah. outside of government contracting work for the right. most part. And, 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 and isn't that mainly just because they have to deal with like budgets and getting the support to even get the team and the, the whatever together to do it? Yeah, a lot of it boils down to how long it's going to take you to do the full project, mm-hmm. right? So traditionally, and like I worked for a defense contractor for a while, uh, like six years, um, and the, the product, the, the, the thing we worked on was like a 20 year project all, all told, like, cause they were building a helicopter. And so there was parts of buying the helicopter and then there was, a, there was all this bidding. So people would, so they wrote requirements and like, okay, we want the software to do this set of stuff. Mm-hmm. It must do these things. And then, okay, someone's going to build that. And then, well, there's this piece of the software and there's that piece of the software. And so we want this piece is going to be contracted out over there. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and, and this whole process from the initial conception through the eventual failure of the project was like 20 years. Yeah. And there was multiple times, like, I think the project got rebought out somewhere along the way and like a different company took it over for things like hardware which is where I think a lot of this stuff started, mm-hmm. it made a lot more sense to do this. If you're designing the, you know, the F-22, you're not going to just start hammering pieces of metal together, <laughs> right? You're going to be like, okay, I want it to do this. Here's the things that we care about. It's going to need to fly at at least this speed. <laughs> I want it to hold this many people, right? Yeah. That and, kind of thing. And not like halfway through, they're going to say, no, 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 it needs to go 20 miles per hour faster than that. Right. Let's change everything. Right. So software yeah. engineering, when it first came about was usually putting software on those kinds of pieces of equipment. Mm -hmm. And so the hardware wasn't going to change. So your software wasn't going to change. And in fact, usually the software would get like baked in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having a process like that made sense. Modern day software development Mm -hmm. is like you said, it's a much more iterative uh, approach to things. Um, especially something like web development where it's it's even more about the visuals and the usability than it is about the capabilities of the system mm-hmm. um, is is I think where that starts to make a difference because that's more subjective instead of objective as mm-hmm. to what it's going to do Did I get that right yeah yeah <laughs> I always mix up those two words <laughs> and I'm like I used it exactly backwards and so I think that's where you end up with more of like an agile software development life cycle. Yeah. Now, what's the difference between that and Waterfall? I have seen agile done so poorly that it basically just was Waterfall again. Mm. Uh, just a whole bunch of little Waterfall cycles back mm-hmm. to back. Um, but basically what you would do, typically what you do in agile is you have a much shorter work period that you're going to do something in. You're like, I'm going to build this feature. Right. Now, the the process by which you might solve that feature might look the same. Like, all right, here's what that feature needs to do. It's just, I'm going to add this one little, I'm going to add this button to this web page. Mm-hmm. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to take me about a week. I need the button to appear. I need it to, I need, it's going to be a little bit special with how it looks. So I want it, I want it to have a couple new shinies, mm-hmm. right, that are going to go with it. And then behind the scenes, what that button is going to connect to is going to create a PDF. I don't know. Right. Whatever boring thing it's going to do. I have done the that, so yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, you're like, okay, here's what that button does. Now we're going to implement it. And so you're like, there's my requirements. And now I'm going to a- analyze them, be like, here's how we're probably going to do it, design it out, and then code it, test it, right? Mm-hmm. The difference is mostly that time scale, right? right? And also, you might just go in and say, like, I'm going to put in a button to make a PDF, 
And we just sort of conceptually understand basically what that's going to do. It's a small enough amount of effort that we're not spending so much time, which is money, on it that we need to go through that full process of taking everybody's time to like sign off on requirements and whatnot. And then at the end, you you have it, you show it to your customer or, or equivalent, mm-hmm. and they go, nope, I don't like that. And so then, you know, instead of that button being green, make it blue. And also, I don't like PDFs. Uh, <laughs> can it be a graph instead? Right. What? And then you go back to the drawing board. Right. Um, and so it's more of an iterative approach. For modern software development, that is almost every modern software company does that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked on all of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Waterfall, like the first company right out of college, like I said, was a defense contractor. That was strictly Waterfall. We got a, like, no lie, like, inch-thick requirements document from our contractor, because we were a subcontractor. Had to go through all that, be like, here's how we can, here, here's what it means. Here's what these requirements mean, because there were so many. Mm-hmm. Designed it out, scoped it out to get, you know, bidding and all that fun stuff, and then built it. I've worked at companies that had been doing that and then were moving to Agile and helped in that transition process. And that's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, at my current company, it's it's way more on the Agile side of things. Like they've already got, they, they were a new enough company where they either started that way or certainly by the time I got there, they're already on that. And then, you know, there's developing it yourself and what that's going to look like. Yeah, the the I mean everything you're saying like I, I understand in in a conceptual way, but I think about like all the ways that I've at all the companies I've worked at have basically always been like a web application or site. And the thing about a web application, it's kind of like an art project where it's basically never done. Yes, so there's, exactly. There's no way you could do it in a waterfall way with an inch thick manual of requirements. Like it always starts as like okay, someone needs a website. Okay. Like, what kind of website? What kind of features does it have? Like, is it going to have uh, users? Are they going to need to upload stuff? Uh, you know, what kind of authentication do we have? You know, what, what framework are we building it on? What, what programming language, you know? Does yeah. it need custom programming? But most of that stuff comes as time goes on. It's yes. more like get the, uh, I think they call it... Um, minimum viable product. Yes, the minimum the viable pro- uh, yeah, uh, project or product is like, okay, a URL in a web browser that I can go to that brings up something. You right. know, that's like, okay, we made a website, but then you can spend the next like five years fixing bugs, adding features, and then eventually, like I'm like I've been doing a lot lately, is uh, rehauling or re-renovating essentially a whole website from like an old tech stack that is either going out of support or has security issues and we need to get to the new one. Um, and so that is probably when I most likely will see this SDLC in my work as yeah. a web developer. Um, cause there is already a set of requirements there, which is effectively this web application exists, right? I need the same functionality right. to exist over here and all your content, yeah, all, all the content, but I want it to be prettier, right? It's always that, right? Yeah, like always- I, I, I wrote a, uh, there was a scheduling application that we used at the improv theater that I used to be at. Mm. I didn't like it because <laughs> uh, I had to use it as both a performer and a scheduler. Like I was on both sides of it. I was like, mm-hmm. this thing was great when it was written. The fact that it existed was great, but it was written in like Cold Fusion, mm. right? right? Cold Fusion. So I rewrote it, but that was my goal. Like my minimum was 
exactly what we have on this other thing. Right. Because everyone knows how to use that. And then I started making tweaks like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if when you're scheduling, if there was a calendar there. Mm-hmm. You had a scheduling application with no calendar? Yeah. That, okay. Well, why were you just using a text file at that point? Because <laughs> you had to have different people log in and see what the answer is. Okay, were. well, yeah. you just email them the text yeah. file and they make their changes. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The minimum viable product, I think, is probably the most crucial and and poorly understood part of agile methodologies. Well, now, why would you say poorly understood? Because I spent a lot of time at a company that was transitioning between more of a waterfall approach to the other, and it's hard to get some people who are fixed in their, set in their ways mm-hmm. about how development works to grasp the concept of, I'm building a thing, I might throw some of it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the code I'm probably going to throw away, but as a product, it's going to grow and change, and it's like, it's, I'm proving out the concept, right? or I... I talked to somebody the other day and they used the phrase proof of value, which I thought was a really interesting way because they were building something like that for a person that they were going to sell it to. Mm-hmm. And they were like, see, it would work like this. And so it wasn't just the proof of like, can I do it? Mm-hmm. Which is what I usually, that's usually where I come from on my initial version of things. It was, look, here's how it's going to work. And you can kind of see and like, isn't that going to be worth money? Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people don't get the... I think it's, it's sort of two parts. I think from a developer standpoint, the MVP is misunderstood because people don't want to throw away their code. It feels like wasted work. Mm. And I think that same idea from a management perspective is looked down upon because they're paying you to do something and now you're just going to throw it away. Right. But, you know, I view it as like building the scaffolding before you build a building. You still have to do it. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I think of even if you're in like the hardware space... Isn't that just a prototype? Like, you're building a thing that more or less does the thing, yeah. but doesn't do it well, isn't pretty, isn't marketable, but, you know, it's the minimum minimum viable product to say, I have an idea, here's that idea, and, and also, I, I, I love that idea of proof of value, that yeah. here is the proof that I have made something valuable, and now all that experience is in my head, and now I'm going to go and make the real thing that is marketable yeah. or, or, or sellable or whatever. Exactly. And, and, and I think the other place that developers struggle with it is we tend to look at something like, okay, here's what the end product's going to be. In order to build that perfect end product, I need to lay this foundation down and it needs to be perfect and be totally extensible mm. and have all the features that I'm going to need for that. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. It's going to be six years before I get to that thing. Yeah. But I need to build that part now. Well, what that means is your customers don't see anything right. until you've built that thing and then put something on top of it. So now it's, okay, don't build the whole thing. Build a piece Right. Right. So like if you were building Twitter and you wanted Twitter to look the way it does today, right. the foundational stuff you'd have to build into it are very different than if you were just going to say, okay, here's a text box. You can type in 140 characters and hit send and it'll go up on a place and that's it. I'm yeah. not putting search. There's no, what's a hashtag, right? Right. Like, all those, like none of that. I don't even need, you don't even need user accounts, right. arguably. Yeah. No so, algorithm, none right. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there was like, I can actually think of a prototype sort of Twitter that existed. It was just, I think it was called like wall or something like yeah. that, like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I, it, I mean, yeah, that concept existed on lots of websites, yeah. but they, you yeah. know, turned it into a thing with value yeah. outside of that. And it's like, once it started becoming like, these are my tweets on my profile and right. now I have friends, like, but your MVP doesn't need to have all those yeah. things. Yeah. 
like generally what we do when we're working on a website for you know a department or something they we always have like the development version of it so that they and we build that like the landing page so like yeah. if you went to your website in the future when it's done in months from now here's what that landing page would look like yeah. the rest of the website is going to look like that it largely depends on a bunch of background work that you don't care about yep. but we have to do and and us moving your content over which you've done and we don't need to talk about but like you can go from nothing to that development landing page to show people and be and and make that connection and not worry and not wait like you said until the very end when the website is done okay it's done now you can go to the URL yeah. and you've had no and then your customer it looks at it and goes that you wouldn't do that and goes why why does it look like this i didn't want it to look like that mm -hmm. and you're like but, oh. but, but you can't do that with the helicopter right. you can't just build like a crappy helicopter and say, well, in, you know, the finished yeah. project in 20 years will, will work really well. Right. We spent a year on making this thing that kills you in five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> See also NASA, right? Right. You're going to fly something to Mars. You need to go through a little bit more of a rigorous process yeah. than, you know, a, a scheduling app for a small independent uh, improv theater. Yeah. You can't just, you can't just make like, like a cardboard box and a bucket on your head and say, no, well, the real shuttle will be way better than this, yeah. but we wanted to, you know, get this done. Now, now, I'll say from a person who has worked in several different types of software development lifecycle and and pro and um, software development process sees mm -hmm. several different software processes. Um, I'll say I prefer the agile method. Like Why a lot? Um, I mean, I do too. But I'm just saying. So for me personally, the one, uh, quite frankly, Waterfall is very boring. Uh, <laughs> you know, I will say, just just as an aside <laughs> counterpoint, though, I've not done a lot of Waterfall, but the idea that you would have all the requirements up front and you just have to implement them <laughs> sounds like a dream. Like, I, I can't see how a website would, in this day and age would ever work that way, but it sounds like a magical yeah. wonderland where they're like, okay, these are all the things we're ever going to want from this website. Do this and we're done. Yeah. That, that doesn't make any sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I can't imagine being... The, the point you made earlier about, like, it's like an art project where it's never done... Yeah. ...is true. Yeah. And so, Maintenance like, is forever. Yeah. Working on something where it actually has a end, that part's really cool. Um, but also, in practice, you still have maintenance, because there's always still going to be bugs. Yeah. You know? Um, having the requirements up front is still really a neat idea. I like sort of... There, there's a scaled Agile that I worked with quite a bit, which is trying to take sort of the best of both worlds mm -hmm. where you've got effectively like a really big project, but now you're going to break it down into smaller pieces or time frames. So, so it's like quarterly we would meet and there was a bunch of teams all working on it and we would all say, okay, in the next three months, here's what we're going to try to do as a company and then, like, all right, so in order to do that, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to, like, team-wise, there was a lot of dependencies, and it was like, okay, here's what this team can commit to in the next three months. Well, if they can only do this, and I need them to do that, well, here's what I can do based on that, mm -hmm. and putting all that together. And then inside that three months, it was sort of a free-for-all, however you wanted to do it. We did Agile yeah. on my team, but other teams would still go, like, waterfall um, uh -huh. Because it's it's how they worked. Does waterfall also mean that if you have a big project with a lot of teams, that for the time that time that three months time you're not talking to each other, 
So it's like a black box until you meet again? It can. Because that um, seems dangerous the larger the project. The the biggest, most waterfall project I ever worked on, I was the lead of one of the teams. Mm-hmm. And uh, several people <laughs> rotated through the team, the team lead on the other side. But uh, a friend of ours, she was the lead on the other side. And we talked all the time. We shared an office. Mm-hmm. Like, we... We're in constant communication because we were still making design decisions well after we'd started implementing. Mm. Because the idealized waterfall method is you're done with design. You don't need to talk to anybody right. else. You probably have a simulator for the server. You don't need to go to have an actual server. Right. In reality, you are you bid for lowest cost, least time. You have to get something out. Mm-hmm. So there's pieces you're like, I am committing to this idea and we can't ever go back because... Mm-hmm. We don't have time to revisit, even if you've made a bad a bad decision, right? You may be stuck with something, and that's that's a big downside of waterfall because it usually is scoping time more than anything else. Right? It's it needs to do all this stuff, and you need to have it done by this date. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and and also, what about like the stuff that changes in technology between the time that you've originally scoped yeah. it? You know, like how how do you pivot yeah. in the middle of that? It's very hard to do. Um, And for something like, you know, we're putting this on a piece of hardware and this hardware looks like this, you may not have new technology, right? Right. I'm putting this on a piece of 20-year-old technology. You have to put your line in the sand at some point that this is what we're scoping. So there's some commitments that you have to stick to for that. If you're building, you know, that awesome video streaming platform, Mm -hmm. uh, you you might... (laughs) That that will change with the with the times, and yeah. as new technologies come out, you need to kind of adopt or die, right? Uh, in a lot of in a lot of cases, and that's where agile and whatnot makes more sense. Yeah. So, ha- have you ever done like more of the really formalized things, like trying to become a scrum master or anything like that? I actually have a scrum. I I I think I've officially gotten my scrum master certification twice. Because they expire. Oh. Um, okay. And a couple, like, I've, I've I've definitely been on the more formalized side of that and at did, my last Did job. you want to be? Do you still want to be? It was useful for what I did. Why was it useful? Uh, I was, that was in my role as a software architect. Mm-hmm. So I was overseeing the development of all the things mm-hmm. at a really high level. And that was that scaled agile thing. And so I was heavily involved in the actual process. It made sense for me to have a deep understanding of how the process actually worked. Mm-hmm. Um, would I want to be a scrum master day to day? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not where my passion lies, but I like the working with those people I think is helped make me a better software developer. So, so would you say that like you, you would gravitate towards working for a company that was serious about adopting and following a methodology like over just, you know, I don't want to say winging it, but just, you know, figuring it out how, how best it works for them at the time and not like finding a methodology like Waterfall or Agile and adopting it. I think it really depends on the company and the size, right? If it's two people, you can... Or a solo developer. Or a solo developer. Yeah. Y- you do what works for you. Yeah. As you get bigger, you need some level of... A way, a way of having a common language with other people, right? Mm-hmm. So following the using the same words is is useful there, um, <laughs> like English or something, right? Yeah. So having that for solo development, though, yeah, I've 
you and I both developed solo projects. Mm-hmm. How much of this do you follow when you're doing solo projects? I mean, projects? yeah, I mean, none of it, like, consciously, you yeah. know? Well, one, usually it's for myself. It's not for someone else. So, like, I have no requirements beyond my own. You know, I usually just have an idea. And I definitely don't... When, when I'm a solo de- developer, and sometimes even at work when I probably shouldn't, like... I, and that's why I like web development so much. I want to start building something right away. Like the idea of like gathering requirements or, you know, talking to stakeholders or getting bidders. I mean, n- none of that is very interesting to me. It's more like I have an idea. It's like, it's like an art, it's like an, uh, an artist mentality. Yeah. I have a creative idea. I want to start doing it. I want, you know, I, even though we made a joke about it before, you know, I want to start slapping the keys as soon as I can because that's when. That's the fun part. The well, and that's also when I get to see something. Yeah. Because because it's like I, I guess I'm more at least when it comes to development, I'm much more like I want to see the practical application of my skills. The theoretical is something I like to to play with. Outside of that, like I love reading about programming, I love talking about programming and Clearly. developing. <laughs> but I but but when it comes to doing it. I'm, I'm much more, I, I'm almost more of an artist about it, where I just yeah. want to start doing it and seeing cool stuff. And so web development is like, you know, like you said, that button, I don't want it to be blue, I want it to be green. And I want to be able to just make that change and refresh something and see it. Like trying to think of about, you know, making something embedded in a piece of hardware on something that's 20 years old because we had to scope it that way. And being like, I'm sorry, that, that button's blue and it's going to be blue forever yeah. because there's no scope to change it. That is like blowing my mind yeah. as a way to work, you know? Think about something like Advent of Code, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about that here before. How did you go about solving problems there? Did you jump in and immediately just start writing code? Did you sketch stuff out on like a piece of paper or a whiteboard first? Or how? what was your sort of approach there? Uh, well, since they got harder as time went on, it changed. Yeah. In the beginning, I think it was easy enough to just like read the instructions and be like, okay, I kind of think I know what the algorithm is they're trying to give it. And, and I would just go to the code. Yeah. Uh, as it got, you know, basically, like you said, with a company, as it gets bigger, it's very important to have some kind of formalized way to go about it because otherwise you're just kind of shooting in the dark. Yep. And so with with like that one where it had the, um, I forget what the, their cutesy name for it, but it was, you know, the little guys on the grid and they could only move with yeah. certain rules. Uh, yeah, sketching that out on a piece of paper, I spent way more time doing that than I did yep. going to the code. So it definitely depends, but regardless, the joy of programming, if I'm sure that's a book, Probably. Um, <laughs> is in turning text into some amazing thing that I can play with. Yeah. So that's, that's the meat. For me, I tend to go to design before anything else. Mm-hmm. My first approach, you can see on my whiteboard there, there's just like boxes and lines drawing them. I tend to do that before I do anything else. Mm -hmm. The design tends to be both my requirements and the design at the same time when I'm working on something for myself. If I don't need to get a bunch of buy-off from somebody, Mm -hmm. if I don't need to talk to stakeholders, it (laughs) it literally will, like, I will go to the whiteboard and start drawing, like, all right, it probably looks like this. And when I do that, it kind of goes... Like this thing, and like so, I sort of get that those use cases and sequence diagrams. That's usually my first go to hmm. for something like Advent of Code, where I was tending to go was how does this work? 
right? Like, let me make sure I understand the answer I'm supposed to get, right? Yeah. What I did there, my MVP in those cases always was reading an input and spitting something out. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Yeah. Uh, like I would process the info. That was always my first step. I had a template that I would copy over into a new file. I would go in. I would make it so that it could properly read in the input. Yeah. And then usually my MVP was, and then print that out. Right. And make sure I read it in right. Yeah. You know, I normalize it into a, a, a manner that I could use, uh, that I could manipulate it programmatically. It's odd down. how the that joy of like taking an input and spitting it back out is still. Brings joy, even it, to this it day. It is. It's it, really it's weird. It's so simple. It's like literally the MVP of a program, which is you give it input, it gives you output. Yep. And there's still a real magic to that. I don't know why. I think it's why I still like writing shell scripts and yeah. command line interfaces. It's because it's easy, it's quick, and I can see it right there. Well, so does that mean that when you were doing something like the defense contractor work, mm -hmm. that was more waterfall and more, you know... Was that just not fun, or or did you think about programming differently then that allowed you to be okay with it? My job was less about programming then, is what it felt like. Okay. It was much more like requirement management and tracking and making sure we were doing all the things. Was and, that fun? Did and you like argue, it? arguing with customers about whether or not we did, in fact, do a, meet a requirement by word by the letter of the requirement. <laughs> right. No. Uh, to some extent, yes. I, I, I enjoyed the problem-solving aspect of, okay. like, well, you know, the requirement... I am technically <laughs> correct, right? The best kind of correct. Did you will actually a ton of people? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, I probably saved our company, you know, millions of dollars doing it, too. <sighs> and that was fun in its own way, but from a software development standpoint, from the actual point of view of developing software, I don't like it. I prefer to get my hands dirty. And for me, that's drawing boxes on a whiteboard and then coding it out. Yeah. Well, you know, just to bring it back around to the, the topic at hand, like... I think, despite the fact that all that stuff you just talked about was not technically programming, you write software and you make hardware for humans, yep. generally. Yep. And so that is part of it. Talking to people, figuring out requirements, you know, arguing about those requirements, uh, scoping out time. Uh, and, and then, you, you know, once you've, you've written it, we talked about, like, usually the end thing of a program is maintenance, which is essentially like, okay, it's running, people are using it. How's that going? And yeah. is it, it, did did something break? Did did somebody figure out a bug? Do they need a new feature? Do they need a new feature, you yeah. know. Or like you know, uh, like with us, is the the technology stack that, that website on now still appropriate? Oh no, you know a big uh, you know they've released a new version. Okay, well that's kind of part of the maintenance of that website. It's like it's almost like every website we work on now is just a new version of an old website yeah. forever. Like until you know my job ceases to exist or something, but or people stop using the web. I don't know. I, I will say a full rewrite of a system is one of my favorite things to do yeah. because the requirements are well known. <laughs> the tests already exist, basically. Yeah. Like, I know what it's supposed to do, and then I get to go in and do it right. Mm. I love that. But aren't you then five years later also potentially that person that you're like, what fool wrote this? Yeah. We need to rewrite this. But I like that too, because okay. I'm like, I've learned so much. Look at all I can improve. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So software development life cycle, I think we covered. Yeah, we covered what it was and, and tangent, tangentially yeah. stuff around it. Also, something we've done recently, which I think even goes beyond 
uh, maintenance would be the sunsetting of something, ah. uh, which is essentially like, oh, nobody uses this thing anymore. We need to shut it down. But of course, it's never as simple as just like hitting a button and turning it yeah. off. Like there's like, well, we still need that content yeah. like kind of frozen on a, on a server somewhere. Also, or... there's that one guy in accounting who still uses this and refuses to learn yeah, anything else. Yeah, so, so I mean, even when you think you're done with the software development life cycle, sometimes you're not. You're not. Yep. Nope. So, and that's what keeps us in a job. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening to Hacking the Grips and all about the software development life cycle. And uh, we now uh, return you to your regularly scheduled uh, lives already in progress. Mm-hmm.